I speak to you in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The two disciples returned. They recounted everything that happened to them. The Lord is risen indeed. Yes, the Lord has appeared, and he is made known in the breaking of the bread. Before moving to New York and becoming a priest, new opportunities in both work and school often necessitated moving from one place to another. And for two distinct chapters in my life, where I was headed next was Washington, D.C. In the first of those two chapters, I lived in the Capitol Hill neighborhood of the district. I shared a row house with a couple of other young professionals who were new in their careers, who were just starting out. Remembering it well, not far from my old stomping grounds, in fact, it's just on the other side of Union Station from where I used to live, there is a soup kitchen that I liked to volunteer with from time to time while I lived in D.C. I'm not much of a cook, but I can follow instructions when someone else is giving them. But more than that, more than that, I'll admit that there is just something beyond me about chopping vegetables that really gets me out of my head that I just happened to find meditative. Anyways, thinking about that soup kitchen in DC, recalling that place, there's a lot that colors those memories in particular, like the smell inside the kitchen. The smell was so good. Whether it was tacos or fried chicken or lasagna, the smell really was intoxicating. And it didn't matter what the dish was or what day I volunteered. Every time I was there, seasonings mixed with fresh ingredients combined with a lot of love made for fragrant and mouth-watering offerings day in and day out. In fact, I feel the same way every time folks from Grace go to the Red Door Place to volunteer. The love inside and the offerings that come out are incredible. They are remarkable every time. Now that said, in many ways, this soup kitchen, this soup kitchen in DC, is like a lot of soup kitchens. Ingredients come in, donations and charitable giving keep the operation afloat, and in return, delicious food comes out to feed those who really need it. People in shelters, seniors, folks struggling to make ends meet. People who are on the margins, people who unfortunately often get forgotten. And it's a wonderful thing that there are places like this, that there are spaces that exist, much needed spaces, where people who are tired and hungry can go to rest and to be fed. But the reason I'm telling you this story, 
The reason I'm lifting it up is that there's one thing about that soup kitchen in DC that makes them a little different, that makes them special or unique. What I didn't realize at first, but quickly learned, is that many of the folks who worked in that DC soup kitchen were actually taking part in a job training program. And it's a job training program that's been designed with the express purpose of breaking the cycle of poverty. Yes, I didn't realize it at first, but what I eventually came to know is that this kitchen actively recruits individuals to train and work there who face especially high barriers to employment, often a history of incarceration and substance abuse, people who are very much in need of a vocation, of a steady income, but who usually can't break free from a chain of previous events that still come to haunt. In a sense, they, this soup kitchen, believe that the potential of a person, the potential of a life, should not be cut short or lost because of a difficult past. Yes, the two disciples returned and they recounted everything, everything that had happened to them. That the Lord is risen indeed, that the Lord has appeared, and that he, the Lord God, is made known to us in the breaking of the bread. The gospel passage we read today is one of the most important scenes in the entire canon of Christian scripture. And out of the four, Luke's gospel is the only one that gives us this story, the story of the road to Emmaus, which is one of several appearances of the resurrected Christ that takes place before Jesus eventually ascends into heaven. But as we'll soon see, the two disciples who meet Jesus on the road that day don't immediately recognize him. In fact, they're talking for quite a bit with him, but they still don't see. Why is that, I wonder? What is it that stops them from seeing what is directly in front of them? How can they possibly miss Jesus, the inbreaking of the divine, when he's standing right there? In the verses that come right before the ones we read today, Luke tells us that Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women, the first witnesses of the resurrection, Luke tells us that these women attempt to tell the eleven this wondrous truth, but they don't believe them. They don't believe a word of it. Skip to later that day and then zoom in on two disciples who are out on the road walking. They're making their way to Emmaus, a village that's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And while the two are walking, it's shared with us that they are deep in conversation. They've got a lot on their minds, much to discuss 
in light of the events that have just happened. Much to grapple with in the wake of all that they've seen, all that has recently taken place. And it is in the thick of this discussion, this intense exchange the two disciples are having. It is here in the back and forth of grappling and wrestling that Jesus appears. Yes, the object of their conversation, the focus of all their wondering and debate, walks right beside them as they are dead in the middle of their talk and their questions. But they do not recognize the risen Christ in their midst. In fact, the writer recording the scene takes it further, saying that they cannot recognize him, that their eyes were kept from doing so. Why? I just have to ask, why? Well, let's dig a little bit and see what we can find. Coming alongside the two, Jesus then joins the dialogue they are having. What's this you're discussing so intently as you walk along, he says. But not recognizing who it is, the disciples are dumbfounded by this question, and their sense of loss is apparent. Have you been hiding under a rock? Are you the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard what's happened? Given their vantage point, reasonable questions for sure, but the conversation continues. Asking what's happened, the two respond to Jesus, recapping events that he already knows. Can you believe what has happened to him, they say? Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet, mighty in word and deed before God, before all people. Can you believe what they, what our leaders did? Do you not know that they handed him over, that they condemned him to death, that they crucified him, that they nailed him to a tree? We thought it was him. We really did. We thought this Jesus was the one, the one who would deliver us, who would deliver all of Israel. But now three days have gone by, and we don't know what to believe. Now the women came and told us all that they saw, how the tomb was empty, how his body was gone, how a vision of angels said that he, that Jesus was alive. But some of our friends went to the tomb right after and found it empty, like the women said. But they didn't see Jesus, and now, gosh, we are so confused. We don't know who to believe. Can you believe that, they said? Can you believe what they did? We really thought it was him, that he was the one. We really thought that this Jesus would deliver us, and now we don't know. As we soon see as the exchange continues, the still not recognized Jesus tries to make clear all that seems baffling to the two disciples. But even his words don't seem to do it. No, what we're told is that the clarity comes later. That it comes when Jesus is at table with them. 
when he takes bread, blesses it, breaks it, and gives it to them. Yes, we are told that it is only then, and in that moment, when their eyes truly open. You know, this really is a strange story. Yes, it's strange to think that two disciples would literally meet Jesus, would have a divine encounter, but fail to see it at first. I've asked these questions before, but why is that, I wonder? What is it that stops the two from seeing what is directly in front of them? How can they possibly miss Jesus, the inbreaking of the divine, when he's standing right there? Offering the best answer to this I think I've probably ever heard, Greg Carey argues that what really prevents the two disciples from recognizing Jesus, what really catches them short, is their expectations, their predetermined understanding of what an encounter with the risen Christ looks like. And to be honest with you, I get that. I very much relate to the experience of expecting one thing from God, of not recognizing the divine in front of me, only to later realize that the whole time I'd truly been in the presence of holy and wondrous things. Returning to the story I began with, the story about that soup kitchen in DC, I have to confess that I really didn't have a full appreciation for what was happening there when I first started volunteering, but eventually came to understand just how powerfully God was at work. Later learning that many of the folks who worked in the kitchen were in a job training program, a job training program that's specifically designed to break the cycle of poverty and chart new futures where people aren't defined by their past. I was told that if I really wanted to understand the work that this organization is about, that I should make a point to come to the program graduation ceremony the next time that it happens. And so I did. As I sat in the auditorium waiting for the program to begin, all of a sudden, the music changed and the room instantly had a different feel. It was like a party, a clear celebration, and the joy only swelled further as the graduates literally danced down the aisle to the seats set aside for them near the front of the stage. As awards were given and speeches were made and individuals were spotlighted, story after story showed people being lifted up out of the pieces of all that can get broken in this world and being loved into something new because a community, a village of people in that soup kitchen decided that no one's story should ever end at the low point. And if that isn't the gospel in miniature, then I don't know what is. In the lesson we read today, the passage from Luke, 
It seems likely that what prevents the two disciples from seeing Jesus, from appreciating the inbreaking of the divine, is their expectations. In fact, in fact, we often expect to meet God in places like this, in places like Grace Church, and with grand canopies of Gothic revival architecture, stained glass that bridges heaven and earth, music that sets hearts ablaze, not to mention the stellar preaching. How could you not? How could you not expect to meet God in a place like this? And I might add, we certainly hope that you do encounter the divine here, that you do meet the risen Christ in this place and nurture that relationship. But I think the word today's gospel has to offer, the thing to take away, is the reminder that God is out on the road with us too that Jesus is ready and eager to walk every step of the journey alongside us, particularly the parts that are hard and challenging and that we might like to avoid, likely defying our expectations. Yes, yes, I know we don't expect God to love us beyond our past, to meet us in the places where we feel most distant from him. But as this story shows us, it is in the breaking that God's presence is most especially known. That's why the frame for all this Gothic architecture and stained glass, the one thing this entire building is pointing to is an altar it's pointing to a place where bread fractures, where things break, where God is present in a particular way to proclaim forever that wherever something breaks in your life, wherever fracture happens, that God will be there too. The two disciples returned, recounting everything that happened to them telling everyone who would listen that the Lord is risen and that he is made known in the breaking, in the breaking of bread. Amen. May it be so. And may we also be God's disciples, excited to share that news too. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.